0: Hey, William Dyer here with Dyer Conversations. If you've clicked on this video, just know you are right in the middle of a series I'm doing on how to understand the Bible. So I'm going to put up a link right here. You can click on it and go check out those earlier episodes, or if you want, just hang with us here in this video. Okay, so to give us a quick recap, last time we talked about Adam and Eve being banished from the garden and God introducing the concept of sacrifice, how that plays out with Cain and Abel. And how that motif, if you will, is built upon throughout the rest of the Old Testament and then culminates in Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Again, this is just an introduction to the Bible, so no, we don't go into any crazy in-depth analysis of the stuff. I just want to introduce you to these concepts so that way, as you go through the scriptures, you can have a better grasp of how everything kind of fits in. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about Abraham. Now, If you're new to the Bible, just understand, Abraham is like a huge figure, okay? He's like one of the uh, guys that's going to be on the biblical Mount Rushmore. He is um, called the father of the faith, and our faith in Christianity is supposed to model the sort of faith that he showed uh, in God during his day. So we pick up here in Genesis chapter 12, Now, one of the things I want to impress upon you as we go through the scriptures, and I I kind of teach you this uh, 10,000-foot view, as I've been calling it, giving you the overall scope of what the Bible's about, so that way, as you get yourself focused on different studies, you can kind of understand how they fit into the overall picture of things. You need to know that what the Bible does is it traces a certain genealogy, okay? It's not going to give us uh, everything that's happened in world history and all those sort of other things. It's really focusing down on God building upon that promise in Genesis 3.15 that he's going to bring a boy baby into the world that's going to crush Satan and what he did in destroying man by tempting him so that way man fell. And so this genealogy that the Bible traces, we see from Adam and Eve through their son's You get to the days of Noah, and we know uh, from that story that we kind of went over last time God destroys the world. He starts off with Noah and his family. And he says that in Genesis, um, the early chapters of Genesis, that the God of Shem is going to be blessed. Now, the Bible kind of takes a little bit of a, um, not a detour, but a focal point on tracing the genealogy of Shem, and that's why right before you get to Genesis chapter 12, you have the genealogy traced down through Shem to a guy named Terah, who then is the father of Abraham. And this is why the Bible is doing these sort of things, because later on when we get to Jesus, we're going to get another genealogy, and it's extremely important because it links all these things together. Now, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, again, extremely important. If you like to highlight or underline or star things, if you're, you know, that's the sort of thing you like to do in your Bible, you need to do it here. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, extremely important. Here's what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, this is before he changes his name to Abraham, okay? It says, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. So right now, Abraham is not in the land of Canaan, and he's in Ur of the Chaldees, so that's Babylon you'll read about later on in the Bible. God calls him from there and says, I want you to leave that, leave your father's house and your relatives go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this last line, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This concept Okay, this is the Abrahamic covenant promise, if you will, that God gives to him, is passed down through his descendants, and again, it's a theme that carries on throughout the rest of the Old Testament into the New Testament, and Jesus is ultimately that descendant of Abraham that fulfills this promise right here, that in the seed of Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But before we skip that huge, you know, story, we want to focus on all the things that happened in between so we can really have a robust view of what the Bible is all about. So I'm going to skip over a lot as we're going to breeze through a lot of Genesis in this series because a lot of these stories are not necessarily pertinent to the focus that we're trying to do because, again, we're having an overall look here, but... That being said, please don't think that these um, stories and details are of no value or they don't add to the story or they can't just add something to your relationship to God. They are extremely important and there are a lot of lessons to be learned in them. But for the sake of brevity and this series not carrying on to infinity, we're going to skip over a lot of that stuff and gloss over it. So God gives this um, call to Abram and this promise to him, and Abraham obeys him, begins to leave and start heading to where God's going to show him. Now, again, we're not going to go over all of Abraham's life, but there are a couple key things that we want to hit. So, a couple chapters later, in Genesis chapter 15, it says this, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to, came to Abram in a vision, saying, don't fear, Abram, I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now, understand, there's some years that have elapsed between chapter 12 and chapter 15, just as there's years that elapse between this point and the other parts that we're going to read about Abram. Verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So, basically, Abram's like, look, you gave me this promise back in chapter 12, I've been obeying you. Um... But how's it going to work out? Because I don't have any kids, and you said that my, you know, uh, descendants uh, are going to be great, and that I'm going to be a great nation, and you're going to bless the world through me. I don't have any kids. So are you going to do it through my servant? Verse 3, Abram said, since you uh, have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. So it's kind of like a rhetorical statement. He's asking God, is this the God that you're going to uh, cause his promise to come through? Verse 4, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, I want you to look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said, So your descendants shall be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he credited it to him as Righteousness. So here we see that Abraham is a bit confused, and God has to clear things up for him and says, I am going to still bless you, and I'm going to turn your descendants into like the stars of heaven, so many that you can't count. And it's not going to be from your um, servant. It's going to be from somebody who comes from your own body. Now understand, Abraham is getting pretty old at this point. I mean, he was already 75 years old when God originally called him to leave the Ur of the Chaldees, and now years have passed. And he's telling him that he's going to have a descendant from his own body. Now, again, some more things happen in the story, and things continue to develop. But I want you to uh, to turn to chapter 17 if you're following along here, and we get this um, another promise, another um, building upon this theme that God's talking to Abram. And it says, when Abram was chapter 17, verse one, when Abram was 99 years old he's 99 years old now, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. So we're talking 20 some years since the original promise, and Abram still doesn't have a son. Well, he doesn't have the promised son, that is. It says, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be a father of a multitude of nations. And here's where he changes his name. He says, No longer shall you be called Abram, but you, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And what God is doing here in the original Hebrew is he's doing a play on words with the names between Abram, which is exalted father to Abraham, which is father of a multitude. So he changes his name to say, it's, you know, it's going to happen. and This is how you're going to be known. And he tells him that uh, his covenant is with him. But then if you go down to verse seven, he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. So here's what's cool here, this little uh, detail, is that God's been telling Abraham all along, my covenant's with you, my covenant's with you, my covenant's with you. Now, here in chapter 17, God tells Abram, but I will establish it with your descendants. So even more so, God is promising him, I'm not just giving you this promise, I'm already promising it to your descendants who haven't been born yet. And we see later on here in chapter seventeen, uh, we get this covenant of circumcision that God institutes with Abraham, and we don't have time really to get into that now. And we'll probably get into it when we when we come to the New Testament. Um, chapter eighteen, we get the birth of Isaac, promise, and Isaac's going to be that promised son that is based on what God has been telling Abraham all along that through your descendants the whole world's going to be blessed. Again, a huge story here about um, Abraham and the birth of Isaac. But I want to come to chapter 22, verse 15 through 18, when God had called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, again, Abraham's been waiting 20-some years for this promise to be fulfilled. It's finally fulfilled, and then God calls him to sacrifice his son. And in chapter 22, verse 15 through 18... It says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven. Here's that language again, and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, spoiler alert, if you've never read the story, Abraham obeys God, takes Isaac up on the mountain. But if you read the story, Abraham knows that God is not going to allow Isaac to either die or stay dead because he tells his servants that we, me and the boy, are going up to worship and we will return. And we don't have time to get into the details about all what that meant and how Abraham's mindset was um, structured at that time to understand what God was doing. But just know this, Abraham was willing to take Isaac up and sacrifice him because, as the New Testament tells us in Hebrews, Abraham had faith that God would have to raise Isaac from the dead, because if God promised to bless the whole world through this son, and I kill him, well, then God's a liar. But Abraham said, I know God's not a liar. I know God keeps his promises. Therefore, he's either going to have to stop me from killing him, or if I kill him, he's going to have to raise him from the dead. That was Abraham's mindset. So Abraham takes him up on the mountain, and as he raises the knife up to kill Isaac, the angel stops him. And then when he stops him, he says, now I know. All right, now, detour. We don't have time to get into a big theological or philosophical debate on, you know, why did God um, have him do this? If God, you know, if God's all-knowing, shouldn't he have known that Abraham would have done this? And now he says, oh, well, now I know. Did God not know before? Listen, don't get lost in the details here, okay? Right now, for our overview of the story, understand this. What God does for us a lot of times is while he knows what we will do and he knows the potential that is inside of us, he has to, because we work in this space-time continuum, he has to allow us to go through experiences where we will actualize our potentials. So it's not just about what God knows in his omniscience, his all-knowingness, but it's also about God allowing us who are bound by space and time to actualize the potential that is inside of us. And so, again, we don't have time, uh, nor is this a place right now, to get into all the details about why the language is the way it is there, but that's what's happening here. So Abraham's faith in God, that potential that was there, is then actualized, and God rewards it. God rewards it by continuing the promise and also, as it said earlier, reckoning or accounting to him as righteousness. And so what's going to happen now through the rest of the book of Genesis is God's going to reaffirm this covenant with Abraham to Isaac, and then he's going to reaffirm it through Isaac's son, Jacob. And then he's going to reaffirm it continually down through until we get to the nation of Israel. But that's for a later episode. Okay, guys, thanks for joining me on this episode. I know we went over a lot and we had to gloss over a lot. If you have any questions, feel free to leave them down in the comments below. I will do my best to answer them. And in the meantime, continue to study, continue to be a filter, always ask questions, always be willing to learn, and I'll catch you guys next time.